So when I'm gone, I generally like to check in with people a bit to see what's up or what's happening or how are you or, you know, kind of things like that. So I thought maybe we'd um, have some kind of discussion tonight based on what you would like to talk about. And so you could think about what questions you might have or what might be vital to your practice at the, right, the current period of time. Or if you were talking to the Buddha, what question would you a ask him? Something like that. Like basically, what's the juiciest topic or question that you would like spoken to tonight? And let's see if we can go there. Let's see what we find. And so I want to spend a minute or two to consider, because what I like to do is if, you know, nobody raises their hand, then I'll call on somebody. So it's good to be prepared. You don't want to be caught unawares here. Awareness is important. Okay. Okay, back. Go ahead. Yeah, you. And if you could stand up, it helps me. Thank you. Um, transitions. Transitions. Feeling it how? Viscerally. Viscerally. Yeah. How does? Pardon? Being with it. Being with it. Mm -hmm. And so, is there a question about that, or you just want it more spoken to in general? Is, is there some idea that it shouldn't be intense? No. Okay. Okay. Now that's really important because sometimes we have an idea about how things should be or, or some kind of um, imagined ideal like going through a transition should be very smooth, very, you know, I should, oh, it's a transition, I know it, I'm mindful of it, so it should be smooth. And it's often one of the things that can cause a certain kind of... Um, disillusionment with practice, not the good disillusionment. There's good disillusionment and there's bad disillusionment. Because the, the bad disillusionment would say, oh, this practice doesn't work. It's not getting smooth and nice and fine and I'm just going through life walking about one foot above the ground the whole time and nothing touches me. Because if we have that kind of ideal, that's actually a lot of suffering to have the idea. But if, we, but if we understand the purpose of practice, which as you said, is to be present, then we, and we can let go of our expectation or ideal or idea of what being present is, then we can open to the reality of being present, which we don't know how it's going to be. Might be intense every time. Might be more intense this time than it was before might be less intense. We, we actually don't know. And then, and then we start to have a more fresh relationship with reality. We have a more fresh um, relationship with actually being alive. 
that it's not some preconceived notion what it means to be alive or to go through a transition or we don't have judgment about how the transition is happening because it's not the ideal that we imagined it to be. And, and because we're not living in our idea of it, but in the actuality of it, we're able to be present with the truth of it, oh, it's intense, then we can start to really find our ground within the intensity. Because we're not trying to get rid of the intensity. We're not trying to get away from the intensity. We're trying to see what it's like to be present in the intensity. And then to see, well, what is intensity? Not to even know what that is totally. You know, that's a word, it describes something. But then what's the actuality of that experience as we stay present within it? As we're mindful of it, as we're bodyful of it, as we're heartful with it. And so then what is the intensity like in the body? What is it like in the mind? What is it like in the heart? And, and what are the skillful means that allow us to stay present as, as things change over and over and over again, which they will in our life, and which is not actually a bad thing at all. It's, it's actually just how lives are. One of the beauties of walking meditation at a certain level is that you see it's basically always changing. Like one step is always changing. And then the next step is always changing. And it's such a funny, simple meditation. But when it strikes you, when, it, when you're actually in the experience, and you, you're experiencing the lifting of the foot or the moving of the foot and the placing of the foot and the shifting of the weight and then the lifting of the next foot, you start to see that there's not a beginning or an end to the lifting or the moving or the placing in some way. And it's a beautiful metaphor, it's a beautiful alignment with reality that we start to see the unsolidity of reality. And in fact, things are always in motion. And it's one of the characteristics of reality, is that it's dynamic, it's alive, it's changing. And of course, that means one of the challenges of reality is that things change. They won't stay in some way we often believe they should or we want them to. And that can create a certain flavor of intensity that we call suffering. And it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's pretty normal, actually, for all of us. But we don't want certain things to change. We want you know, certain relationships to stay, or certain jobs to continue, or certain you know, teams to keep winning every time, whatever, whatever it is. We have our desires and our preferences and our ideas about how reality should be. And, and we're not trained so well to come into alignment with reality as it is. Because to come into alignment with reality as it is, is that reality is changing, that it's dynamic, it's fluid, it's flowing. I mean, and we can, of course, we know this 
intellectually, totally, this is a no-brainer. Do things change? Yeah, sure, everything changes. Are we comfortable with that? Sometimes, when it changes the way we want it to change. And part of the practice of mindfulness is to develop the capacity to build the muscle of actually getting comfortable with change. And, and I, I didn't quite finish one of my sentences there, but partly meaning getting comfortable with change means learning to get comfortable with loss. Because some, something's lost. Something new. Something new is here, but something is gone. And, and those are skills that can be developed. And so the Buddha provided a tremendous amount of skillful means to help us learn how to come into alignment with reality, to be one with reality, not to be in opposition to reality. And so mindfulness starts to give us the capacity to be not only with the fact that things change, but with the fact that we lose things people, places, our own identity changes over time. Our own bodies change over and over and over again. And it's, it's not so easy. It gets easier. Maybe it never gets totally easy until we're completely enlightened. Who, who knows? We'll see as we continue. But partly it's having... Um, one of the one of the most important um, skillful means, if we look at the eightfold path, is right view. Is just seeing the truth of change, and seeing that part of our task from that view is to come into alignment with change. And it doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean the way to come into alignment is okay. Everything changes. I don't care about anything. Because it all changes. It's all going to change or go away. So why would I care? It's, it's more as... Um, who wrote the four quartets? T.S. Eliot said, you know, to... Uh, that Maybe he didn't say this, actually. <laughs> I can't quite remember. <laughs> Things change and they don't change. Or, 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 excuse me, he said, here it is. Here's the quote. Teach me to care and not to care. Teach me to care and not to care. That actually we care totally, but there's also a part of us that knows how to let go because change is inevitable. And so that's part of the skill. So there's right view as one of the skillful means. There's right intention or right thought, how we think about things. And then there's right meditation practice to really learn how to get present, how to find our own self-support, and then how to pay attention so we actually see the phenomena of our life from the perspective of right view, from the perspective of change. And the heartful part of it means being really kind to ourselves. That part of learning how to be with change is in some sense learning how to be with our grief or with our loss. And it's a learning that we don't do before it happens. 
right? This is one of the um, things that can trip us up in practice is we think, okay, I'll learn the practice and then I won't have to deal with this. Well, you learn the practice in order to deal with it, to actually deal, to actually be right in the middle of our life as human beings and deal with the grief and the fears or the concerns and the, and the letting go and then the freedom that comes when we see that letting go can happen and that we don't have to push anything away. That pushing away is not letting go. Grasping is not letting go. Pushing away is not letting go. But being with has this capacity for things to let go. And so being with our feelings, being with the loss or the grief or the fears as things change is the basis for letting go, is the basis for coming into alignment with things as they are, which is total, absolute change and transition. Does that speak to it a bit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Joe. Joe. Yeah. I want to ask about forgiveness because, you know, I always try to be forgiving and usually I'm able to do that, but I find it difficult sometimes when the other person has done something that's very hurtful and they don't seem to Really show yeah. remorse or the desire to change. How do you yeah. work on forgiving someone who just says, Well, I know I hurt you really badly. That's the way I am sometimes. I hurt other people too. Right. <coughs> and so I have a hard time being forgiving in situations like that. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, really, if I'm to be honest, my first response is, Don't forgive. <laughs> <laughs> And by, by that I mean, it's very important to be authentic with what's happening for you. And if the forgiveness is not there, you can't force the forgiveness. But you can stay present with the part of you that is unforgiving. Not to cultivate unforgiveness, but because it's true on the relative level, you're not feeling forgiveness. And then staying present with the unforgiving part will begin to reveal what that is. Reveal the contraction or the anger or the hurt that might be there that's not ready to forgive. It's just not. Um, there's a difference between having the intention to forgive, which you can always have, and actually forgiving. And so you can know that your intention is to forgive, but if you're not ready, you can't fake it. I mean, that, that just, do you ever do that? Oh yeah, I forgive you totally. I hate, I'm never talking to you. <laughs> you know, it's just how it is. You can say, oh yeah, I, I see, I'm, you know, it's okay, don't even worry about it. I'm never going to talk to that person. <laughs> it's, you know, that's what happens in, so we have to be honest to what happens inside because that's the basis for mindfulness. And, that, and then if we're willing to be honest, then we have some room, then we can apply skillful means. Then we can be present with the I hate their guts and see what that feels like and what happens as you're mindful of it rather than just believing it. 
it's there and we know, you know, we feel it, but we also know maybe that's not the deepest part of us. There may be more to us than, you know, the reaction. And so to be, it's the, the paradox here is learning how to be with our reactivity can lead to the letting go of our reactivity. To pretend the reactivity is not there, I haven't seen that work. Um, now then, so we see the reactivity is there. Um, so, so part of our practice then is to actually sit with the reactivity, the anger, the hurt, the distrust, whatever it might be. But then there's something else that you can, one can also do, which is, and again, this is really shifting from the meditative or contemplative uh, skillful means of being with to the view or to taking a good look and ste- or stepping outside for a minute of the whole thing and seeing, oh, who is that person? Who is that? What, who, who are they? Take a, take a really good look. Well, oh, it's interesting. They can't even just say, I'm, I'm really sorry. They can't do that. Well, wow, why not? Who is that? And sometimes, not always, sometimes you can all of a sudden just come from a bigger picture. It's like, I actually saw a really cool book today somebody gave, gave us. It's a, it's a wordless book called Zoom. Anybody know this book called Zoom? Do you know it? And it's all about perspective. So the picture starts with one thing and then another. I don't want to tell anybody what happens, but, it, but it's about perspective. And that's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying sometimes we can just shift our perspective and say, okay, what's going on here? You know, I see I'm, I'm reacting to them not being able to. Well, wow, why can't they just say, I'm really sorry that I did this and I hope it doesn't happen again. And then you can start to see sometimes people suffering. Because that's all that's happening is people are suffering. And they're acting out of their suffering. And sometimes that can bring some compassion. For the person, for yourself, that you have to relate to somebody who's suffering like that. Right? And that it's not, it's its, its own suffering to be in relationship with someone who's really caught like that. And then from there, with that shift sometimes, when the compassion comes, it's easier to let go or to forgive. And so then compassion, both the right view and the compassion becomes allies for letting us be free. Because ultimately, forgiveness is, is not really for the other person. I mean, it's maybe partly for the other person, but it's really for us. Well, who, they don't care some, most of the time. If somebody says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bastard, but I don't care. They don't care if you forgive them or not. <laughs> it's, you're the one who's suffering. So that's why the letting go, it's really letting go. It's for us, the forgiveness. It's letting go of the contraction in the heart. But we can't let go prematurely. That would just, I haven't seen it work. So there's a couple ideas about forgiveness. And then really, Jack Cornfield wrote a really lovely little book about forgiveness. 
sometimes I don't like some of Jack's books are a little <laughs> I love Jack I just spent a week with him we had a great time uh, but they can be a little commercial or saccharine at times but his book about forgiveness has a lot of wisdom in it really it's a beautiful little book so you might, you might check that out too as more support for learning because right now you're studying forgiveness and it's a beautiful study of the heart of what allows the heart to let go to be free. Um, sometimes I've had sort of feeling my heart really open, and I love it. Yeah. And I feel it in a really physical way, but I find that I have so much emotion there that I can't sustain it. Uh-huh. I have this idea that it's a good thing. You you have to what? I have this idea that it's a good thing. Okay, so let me repeat a little bit. So, feeling that her heart is open and really liking that, and that, but there's a lot of emotion with that. Right. And, and I have this idea that it would be a good thing to be able to sustain. A good thing to be able to sustain an open heart. But I don't know if that's realistic because I, I feel like I'd be a mess. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> okay, so... And, it, it might be a problem because then you'd be a mess because yeah. there'd be too many emotions. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I think it's a good thing to have an open heart. I, I, I do. Mean, like if I'm sobbing, because I'm feeling this like. <laughs> what What are you feeling when you're sobbing? So openness, huge relief, lifting, and sobbing. Well, you don't have to sustain it. <laughs> so how do I keep the open heart without being a mess? So first of all, um, you know, it, um, things change. <laughs> no, I, I mean this seriously. So sometimes, especially at first, when things start to open they're not so comfortable or we're not so comfortable with the openness. And especially around the heart. When the heart opens, it can actually feel uncomfortable or painful because of the holding that's been there in the heart. And it, but it can also be a, a like, you know, it's very common in certain traditions that the heart opening is accompanied by tears, Weeping, and it's not bad heart opening. It's almost like a certain sense of grace, or blessing, or um, like nectar, and and it just it dissolves something, and the and the tears come are tears of joy in a certain way, or or, or kind of indescribable tears, um, and you know the heart is very is amazing organ. And I'm not talking about the physical heart. I'm talking about the spiritual heart. When they say, when Sharon Salzberg writes a book that says a heart is wide as the world, it's not a metaphor. It's an actuality. It's something that's possible. And when the heart starts to open on that level, it does, it can feel overwhelming. 
and part of then your practice is to open to it as best you can and then titrate the opening. In other words, mitigate it some so you can rebalance and then op let it open again. And so you start to find your balance with a heart as wide as the world, a heart that's wide open. Just w and it's definitely possible. But it doesn't mean, but if we have some idea of what it should look like, that'll be more, that'll be some suffering. But if we can be curious, open, okay, wow, my heart, it just opens. And it can feel very physical, very big, very large, and like tender, um, permeable, rich, juicy, pleasurable, sweet. So it doesn't have to just feel overwhelming. It can feel strong, courageous. And it's part of spiritual practice. It's part of awakening. So it's not a bad thing. And you know, I've seen people especially a little more on retreat than daily life, but it can definitely happen in daily life um, where the, a kind of universal heart starts to open. It's a big heart. And it's not just about, oh, a person or a couple people. It's like for the whole world or feeling the suffering of the whole world and weeping for days, really, for days. But it doesn't. But it changes. It doesn't stay like that, and, and it doesn't mean the heart goes away. But we start to again. We start to find our ground in it. You know, it's like it's like a new skill. You know, you start to do something at first, and it's awkward, and we're not so good at it, and we're learning it, and we're trying, and but after a few years of staying and weeping with your open heart starts to relax, starts to feel comfortable. Not only that, it could feel totally normal. Like, oh, my heart's, I haven't opened up. What, what could feel weird is when the heart closes. We think the closed heart is normal. Could be that that's the aberration, really. So you want to see if you can stay present and see what are, what are the tears actually about? And then we'll start to, we'll keep learning more as you stay present with the whole experience. Does that give you a little sense of where to go with that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm back. Uh huh. So it means how to practice open-heartedness with a shut-down heart. One one is kind to oneself when one's heart is closed, because one's heart will be closed. It just happens. But can we be a little interested in the experience? Because it's what's happening. It's what's true. Uh huh. Well, there's, then there's the other skillful means that may be helpful. Other people are really helpful. One of the things that can often help when our hearts are really hurt 
or closed or covered or scabbed is to talk to other people about what scabbed it, what made it hard. And whether it's friends or therapy or whatever it is, is actually something about communicating it, not, not just being isolated with it. And really saying, okay, this is true, my heart is hard. It's like a rock. And I, and I know why, and here's why. And then see what happens as you start to be mindful with more than just yourself and the heart, but with some other people being mindful with you, being present with you. You know, Sangha is a powerful practice. And just to, this is a little, it's not actually an aside, but it, for the last week I've been on this Spirit Rock teacher retreat and we've been practicing um, interpersonal meditations. So not meditating alone, meditating in pairs. And, and using language, talking, talking about the consciousness and what we're aware of and then what happens as we're aware of it and et cetera, et cetera. It's very powerful. Does that give you a little, some ideas where to go? Okay. Ellen. I have difficulty with acceptance and accepting myself. And right now, accepting my 15 year old daughter mm-hmm. for who she is, mm-hmm. why I'm different, and mm-hmm. why I need to be different, why I need people to be different. Mm-hmm. And just accepting, I think I have to be judging. So, questions about acceptance and how to accept things you don't want to accept. (laughs) I think, again, I'm going to go with the paradox of accepting the fact you don't accept something. You know, it's it's really, uh, it's a very simple principle that I'm proposing, which is start where you are. Start where you are, always. We have to start where we are. We have to start with what's true. And then to actually, but, but not to take it for granted what's true. Because mostly we'll say, oh well, I don't accept. And then we don't pay attention really to what's there. Say, no, I just don't accept my daughter and I'm not accepting myself. But we're not getting present in the experience of not accepting. Like to actually feel the body in the contraction of not accepting. To feel the heart and the hardness or the angriness or the frustration. To actually feel it. All this is life. It's alive. And the paradox is, if we can get present with it, it, will, it won't stay. It won't stay, it's, it won't stay solid because it's not solid. But if we're pushing it away, if we're aversive to it, then we can't, it won't open up. It won't show itself. It won't show what, what's actually there. What don't you like about your 15-year-old daughter? <laughs> Is she pushing you away at this time? Oh, no, not that I accept. Oh, that you accept. Good. <laughs> That's good. No, I think, you know, I see her with others. You know, she has trouble with other children her age. Hmm. I want her to be liked, and I want her to be nice. And, you know, so, so, so wanting her to be liked... You want her to be a good kid? You want her to be happy? Yeah, of course. Can you feel the wanting? 
What? Yeah, no, no, feel it. Let yourself want that for her. If, now what you, is it okay? Just feel that for a second. Let yourself feel what you want for her. How is it to accept that? So, but I'm I'm trying to point you at the actuality of your experience. If you feel it, what's it like? What happens inside of you if you feel that? Right. Pardon? Frustration. Frustration. So then, then can you accept the frustration? Can you can you allow that? I mean right I mean right now <laughs> just just feel it for first ten seconds actually get really present with it breathe with it what do you what is it like what's it like physically constrained yeah so the idea is to actually stay present. Don't try to go past it. It's a paradox. If we if we get present right where we are, it, it actually won't stay the same. Something else will start coming. The, the skillful means the Buddha offers is actually getting present. Not saying, oh, I'm frustrated. I've been frustrated a thousand times. That that'll actually take you away from the real the, the the experience that's happening now, and and it'll kind of keep it in the same place because it, it's not getting any attention. It's not getting the mindfulness. Okay. Yeah. But also, I really you know it's clear you love your daughter. You want her to be happy. Keep feeling the love too. She's she's going through a certain kind of suffering. It's called fifteen-year-old suffering. <laughs> and it's you know anybody ever have any fifteen-year-old suffering? <laughs> and, I mean it's it's intense. It's an intense time. How were you at fifteen? <laughs> we're not going to go there. <laughs> If they who who would they be? What about having one here? Yeah. So why don't you start one? <laughs> no, I mean we could we could start a teen sitting group. You you could you could you know pin you know for whatever they call that you could be the point person for that and not that you have to teach it but if you want it, if you want it to happen we could we could do it it just takes your energy and we'll see if there's a few other people who have some energy for making it happen i think it's a great idea okay or maybe a parent of teenagers <laughs> <laughs> gail said maybe a parent of teenagers sitting here should also be invaluable 
It's funny, my daughter's in town for a few days, and I just saw her as I got off retreat, and uh, and we're talking, we had dinner, and it's great to see her and her boyfriend in from New York. And I said, well, are you coming to my sitting group tonight? She's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I come to all your shows. You know, she's an actor. <laughs> she, she's like, oh, I came once. <laughs> said, you know, once in 15 years? She said, if somebody else was teaching, I would come. <laughs> I said, I'm going to tell my sitting group tonight you say that. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, okay, what else? Yeah. Hi. Okay. And also about communication and the importance of that. And um, I'm kind of finding myself at a time in my life where I have kind of different experiences and I kind of want to tie up loose ends and clear the air with people. And I'm like shooting off all these random emails and Ooh. people I haven't talked to in like 10 years. <laughs> oh. I, don't, I don't really know if energetically that's to do. I mean, uh-huh. it feels good for me, as you say, like, right. it's more about my experience yes. than you do, as, like, the bastard, as you say, privately care whether or not I think Yeah. I, I don't know. I, can you talk a bit about the importance of the sharing? Of the sharing. So, so one thing... Including men in the Right. And you said you were shooting off a bunch of emails. Well, only... Okay. I, I just <laughs> I want... I, I just want to caution everybody about shooting off emails. <laughs> I don't know about that form. That's a, I don't know. I've shot off a couple emails that I wish I hadn't. Um, um, the so the communicating, that's a, that's a different part of the question. Does it need to be expressed or not? And that's a, that's a certain refinement of the skill. And it calls for a certain sensitivity to what's true for you, but also what's true in, this, in the bigger situation. And, you know, different, different spiritual practices think about it differently. Definitely in 12-step, my understanding, which I don't know a lot, but is that you make amends. And so you do, you know, I've had people call me and say, you know, their apologies. And to be honest, I'm like, whoa what happened? I can't even remember or whatever it is, but clearly it was important for the person. And so there's a value to that. But um, um, in our tradition, because hmm. there is, there is this, especially in the monastic community, there's a real speaking of it. it it's in a formal, ritualized way. And it happens that if you're if you're living in the monastic community as a monk or a nun, and there are transgressions, that you uh, there's formal apology and then forgiveness from the community, um, and so there's a real it, there's a there's that's woven in as as householders and as lay people we don't have those forms, and and so maybe within the sangha it might be a little more. 
normal? I don't know. And I, I, I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I think mostly I would think about it one person at a time. And what, what really, does this need to be said or not? And then to actually sit with that question for, you know, a day or a week or a month and see what comes. See what your, your real inner wisdom says about it. And then it's your, your choice. Uh huh. Is, is actually expressing it part of the process. Uh huh. Is expressing it part of the process. Does it make it more real for me? Uh, that's a it's a it's a tricky question because my, my first response my first response from a totally meditative uh, position is no. It actually doesn't make it more real. The, the letting go, and the, when the letting go happens, it happens whether you say it or not. But in terms of the compassion and the kindness and the power of forgiveness, the expression may be very important at times. That it may not only be for you, honestly, but it may be healing for another person to hear you say, I'm sorry. And I definitely apologize. And, or forgive, either way. Um, do I tell people I forgive? Let me see. It, you know, if I think they're holding it in a way, and I'm not, then I, I actually do want them to know. If I think they're like suffering with it and beating themselves up, then I, that, I, I don't want them to do that. So... You know, let's keep it as an alive and open question rather than, oh, here's the Buddhist answer out of the book. I, I think it's a more real way to deal with for the questions you're bringing up. Hey. Um, very different question from most of tonight, but Please. I have a question about um, the idea of no self yes. and reincarnation. Yes. Um, what reincarnates? No self reincarnates. No self reincarnates. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the short answer. Let's, let's, see if I, let's see if I can give you something a little, with a little more substance. Um, so uh, one of the one of the ways I like to conceptualize this in terms of um, the small sense of self. Or the um, the um, uh, the ego sense of self, which is based on an illusion. There's an illusion here. There's an idea that there's something solid when there's not anything solid. Um, there's an idea that you know I'm Eugene and I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and me and I and mine. There's the the sense of self. Well, that that sense of self is based on history, based on impressions, based on uh, ideas and beliefs and concepts. In 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 the freshness of the moment, in the liveness of reality, if if those begin to fall away, there's not actually this thing that we call the self. 
there's all kinds of things here, all kinds of energy and life and vitality and perception and knowing and all kinds of stuff. But there's not this, like, you know those Russian dolls where there's a doll inside a doll? There's not actually a little something Eugene inside of here. <laughs> and of course, there's not, the body is not Eugene exactly either. There's no Eugene really. Um, but there's something. But the something is not a concretized anything. And so something can, might, and I don't, I'm not even really broaching the whole question of is there reincarnation, but let's just say something might continue, but none of it's static. What continues is not static. What's here is not static, and what continues is not static. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really, it's, of course, it's a, it's a very common question, you know, if there's reincarnation, who gets reincarnated? And a lot of different answers from different teachers. You know, Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, well, and people would say, well, what, what gets reincarnated? And he would say, your bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but the truth is, you know, we could just as easily say your good habits. Um, you know, the idea that there's a tolku. Tolku in Tibetan Buddhism means a reincarnated lama. One of my teachers, Sokni Rinpoche, is a tolku. And so he's the third Sokni, or the Dalai Lama is the 14th Dalai Lama. So is it the same person who was born, you know, 900 years ago, 1500 years ago, whatever it is? No. Has something moved forward? Seems to be that he's come into this life with a tremendous amount of maturity and capacity, all of which might not have been developed in this life. But, but none of it is static. We, we tend to create stasis in our minds or, or concretize or reify reality. If, if reality is flowing, then why can't that flowing flow from one life to another? That's, that's the kind of the first way to maybe open up the question of reincarnation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.